Last Sunday, Pastor Jason delivered an important message for us, and it had at its center this question, who is Jesus? It's important to understand things like the dual nature of Christ, being both fully God and fully man, to understand how we are fully secure in our salvation and also the fullness of his love in his sacrifice. Yahweh, I am, is who he says he is. And no amount of mental gymnastics or theological tiptoeing around can change that fact. We were made in his image, not him in ours. So our question today is not who is Christ, but who is Christ to you? Because what we believe does change our hearts and our actions. In our passage today, we're going to see that there's a difference between knowledge and faith, and there's a difference between following and being a follower of. So through the person of Peter, we'll see how we so often get it wrong and what it means to get it right. So our passage today is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. If you're using a pew Bible, it's beginning on page 903. Would you stand to honor the reading of God's Word? Verse 27. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will fall away because it is written... I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have, aris- I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, even if everyone falls away, I will not. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to him, today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he kept insisting, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. Skipping to verse 66, while Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maidservants came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Then he went out to the entryway and a rooster crowed. And when the maidservant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, you certainly are one of them, since you're also a Galilean. Then he started to curse and swear, I do not know this man that you are talking about. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time, and Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day and this opportunity to gather together in fellowship and worship of you. And God, I pray that you would edify us and build us up through this time of study. And may the words that are spoken here be spoken from your spirit. And may your spirit guide us in our understanding. In your name, amen. You may be seated. So today's scripture centers around Peter. After Jesus, there's no other name that comes up as often as Peter in the Gospels. No disciple, 
speaks as often as Peter. No other disciple is as bold in declaring for the Lord. And no other disciple is spoken to as much as Peter. Sometimes with great words of praise and sometimes with some rebuke. So who is this Peter guy? We know Peter was born Simon. He was a fisherman. Peter's the name that Christ gives him. Well, technically he gives him the name Kephas, which is Aramaic. Peter would come from the Greek, and then later the Latin, Petra, which means stone or rock. That's where we get words like petrified from. It's a bit of a surprising nickname, if we're honest, because he is a passionate, explosive personality. And so to give him a nickname of a very stable, steadfast thing like a rock might have been unusual to some of the people who heard it. Peter was inquisitive. He was about rightness. He wanted to know what were the standards that he might achieve them, what was the task that he might complete it. In Matthew 18, he asked Jesus, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Seven times? You can kind of see the wheels turning, having sat at the feet of Jesus, hearing the messages of forgiveness. He wanted to set the parameters of the commandment so he could go and meet it. What is the mission? How do I meet it? Peter was bold. When he saw Christ in the storm, he dared to jump out of the boat and trust in the power of the Lord, and he walked on water. He was outspoken. He proclaims confidently when Jesus asks him, who do you say I am, that Christ is the Messiah? He strikes out in defense of Christ when the mob comes to get him on the night of his betrayal. Peter leaps to his defense with the sword in hand. And Peter was a close confidant to Christ. Part of Jesus' inner circle along with James and John, all of whom would be leaders in the church and were privy to some of the moments others weren't. The resurrection of a little girl in Mark 5, his transfiguration on the mountain in Mark 9. And they were the disciples that he chose to be with him when he prayed through his trial and crying out to his father in agony. So it is no wonder that we find inspiration in the life of Peter. If only our churches today were filled with Peters, dedicated to God's command, taking leaps of faith for the kingdom, boldly proclaiming Christ and defending his name while keeping a close relationship with him. So this is the Peter that we find at the start of our passage today when Jesus predicts what will happen. When he said, you will fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. It's interesting, the verb that's translated there as fall away has a variety of connotations. It can mean to fall or stumble, to fall into sin or be caused to sin, to fall away from a faith or to apostatize. It could even mean to fall out of relationship with, to offend or anger or shock. And so with that statement, here we have Peter, characteristically impulsive with bravado, steps in and he says, even if everyone else falls, I will not. 
Now, maybe he's trying to lead by example. But his statement seems to suggest that maybe in Peter's mind, he thinks that eh, some of these other guys really might trip up, right? It's possible. I can see, you know, that guy over there maybe, but not me. He's full of self-confidence. I wonder if he even actually heard the whole statement that Christ said. My mother-in-law has a phrase that has worked its way into our family lexicon. When you interrupt, you lose valuable information. So what did Peter interrupt? Let's look at that verse right before. But after I have risen, I will go ahead to you in Galilee. So the shepherd is struck down and the flock is scattered, but Christ will rise again. And what is Christ taught about the good shepherd when the sheep are scattered? He will seek them out and restore him. What a claim. I, when I have risen. What a prediction and a promise. But this isn't the first time the disciples haven't understood or made the connections from the teachings they've heard. Doesn't mean the disciples were ignorant. I think Peter's reaction shows that they understood how serious Jesus' consistent predictions of his death and suffering. And Peter is yelling loudly, I've got your back, there's no way. But he misses the hope in the Christ statement. And so Christ, not for the first time, has strong words for Peter when he tells him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. But Peter keeps insisting, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. There is an irony to Peter denying Christ's words that he will deny him. It's kind of a, no, you're wrong. I will always believe you, right? But it's a very human thing, these inconsistencies we come up with. We should tolerate everyone except the people we don't find tolerant. Or this actual conversation I heard once between two men where the first one was talking about the latest uproar that happened, and he turned to his friend and he said, there really is nothing people won't argue about. People will disagree about anything. And his friend, without missing a beat, said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so Peter, instead of taking this shocking prediction at full value and examining himself, I mean, denying Christ three times is a lot more deliberate than simply stumbling. And before the rooster crows, that is soon, instead of being shocked into what in the world could happen between now and then, what do you mean I'm going to? And reflecting, he doubles down. I think it is important to remember that Peter, even at this point, like many of the disciples, probably still thinking of the Messiah as a revolutionary figure. He would topple the system and rule and bring justice and power. Just four chapters earlier, James and John had been arguing about who gets to sit at the right hand of God, saying, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left hand in your glory. So often we want end on the greatness that comes with the kingdom of God. 
And Peter was all in for the cause. But I want to examine again what he says in those verses. If everyone falls away, I will not. And if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. If we take a stroll back through the Gospels every time that Peter opens his mouth, you'll notice what one commentator, Herbert Lockyer, calls a generous use of the personal pronoun, I. He puts it this way, and I'm going to use his words because I don't think mine would be any better. This is what he says. The I is prominent. The middle letter of sin is I. And self-confidence is indeed the armor bearer of sin. Self-confidence, which is related to self-conceit, can blind one to his own ignorance and weakness. Peter was tempted, as we all are, to rely on self and not be wholly dependent on the Lord. You see, in every documented instance of Peter's failings, we see him take his eye off of Christ. He dared to jump out of the boat. It's true. But when he saw the storm and took his eyes off the source of his power and focused on his problems, he started to sink. He's bold and outspoken, yes, true, but in his boldness, Peter is the only disciple who ever dared rebuke Jesus. And Jesus' strongest words, get behind me, Satan, were directed at Peter. Jesus takes Peter along with him as James and John, like we said, to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he tells them there, while he to sit there and pray, and he tells them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch. I mean, what a confession. Your friend tells you they need you in that moment. And he returns and finds them sleeping. He rebukes Peter. He says, Simon, notice he uses his old name. Are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, we have to rely on the spirit because however bold or strong we think we are, we cannot do it in our own strength. Christ goes back to pray and comes back and they're asleep again. Even in his defense of Jesus, Peter's impulsiveness kind of leads him astray. In Matthew's gospel, he comments that Jesus comments on the violent nature of the mob that comes in front of him. It says, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? See, our world seeks authority through might and power, but Christ's authority comes from above. But when Peter strikes out in defense of Christ, he's using the same attitudes and tools of violence as the mob. And in the end, he doesn't hurt one of the soldiers, but a servant. And I imagine we can unpack all sorts of lessons there regarding unintended consequences of God's church seeking to do things the world's way. If last week we saw what it means for Christ to be fully God and fully man, or as Paul says in Colossians 1.19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, Peter's life 
I think, shows us the limits of our humanity. If we see what we aspire to be in Peter's convictions, we equally see our failings in his flaws. Now, our next passage of the Gospels all have slightly different accounts. Where exactly was Peter standing each time he denied Christ? Who exactly asked him or pointed him out? And you can spend a whole afternoon, some of you might, exploring how these all fit together. There's been a lot written on that subject, but on all, the core narrative is the same. The disciples fled, just like he said, and at some point, it says they all deserted him, so Peter as well. At some point, Peter gathers himself, and in verse 54, Mark tells us Peter followed him at a distance right into the high priest's courtyard and was sitting with servants, warming himself by the fire. There are undoubtedly many lessons that we can draw from Peter's actions following Christ's arrest. Was he following out of loyalty, just like he said? Then why was he at a distance? Hardly seems like the bold claim that he had earlier that night. But let's, for a moment, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, they had just scattered. He was probably shameful and humiliated. He had just cut the ear off somebody. And he was headed back to a place with probably some of the same faces that were there were going to be in this courtyard. He's nervous. But he is there. But even if we are to forgive Peter's tentative following, it does highlight that there is a big difference between following somebody and being a follower. Jesus' trial was about to start inside. And when we think of homes at the time, inside didn't necessarily mean behind closed doors, but probably higher up in a covered area with the roof. Witnesses are being called. And Peter, instead of literally testifying on Christ's behalf, was outside down in the courtyard, staying warm by the fire. He was about to have his own trial. And so we're told, while Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maidservants came. She saw Peter warming himself. She looked at him. The verb there kind of indicates that they kind of studied him for a bit, maybe, and, and said, you also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. And then he went out to the entryway, and a rooster crowed. So a servant girl, no one really of stature to be ashamed or afraid of, comes up to him, looks at him across a fire, and says, yeah, you were with that Jesus guy. It's hardly accusatory, though heavy with implication. But I can hardly see this servant girl, if he confirms it, running back inside, stopping all the religious men and saying, hey, I found another one, right? Now, evidently, the wording he uses here is it was a common kind of legal denial, almost like a legal jargon, a whole lot of nothing with a lot of words. Sort of one of these, I can neither confirm nor deny, right? What are you talking about, he's basically saying. 
I can't even answer that question because you don't make sense. You're crazy. And Peter moves away, probably in an attempt to escape another embarrassing situation, and maybe feeling that he technically hasn't said anything. He neither confirmed nor denied, right? He's in the doorway, technically still within his boast that I'm not going to leave. I'm just in the door. I'm not gone. And then the maidservant saw him again. She began to tell those standing nearby, this man is one of them. But again, he denied it. Have you ever not been able to let something go? So this maidservant is like, I am not crazy. I know you were with him. And so she turns to the people around and she's like, guys, this is one of his followers. I imagine it's as much a statement as a question, right? Like, right, he's one of them, right? The pressure is ratcheting up on Peter. See, the first challenge is a single person in a private conversation. I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe no one will know. No one will believe this girl. But now we've escalated to a public denial in front of witnesses. We don't have the particular verbiage in Mark, but if we look at the other Gospels, we can see that it's a stronger denial. And so now you can imagine everyone is kind of talking about it, mulling it over, whispering, oh, what did he say? What did he say? And after a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, you certainly are one of them, since you're also a Galilean. Somebody has what my students will call a big brain moment. And was like, what else do we know about these guys? Oh, yeah, aren't they from Galilee? Oh, that guy's definitely Galilean, right? Maybe it was his accent. But they put it together. And I want to pause here and consider briefly, we see this as like this gradual buildup of pressure, this increasing danger, maybe persecution of Peter. But if we go back to the bold and passionate Peter of earlier, could he not have seen this as the perfect opportunity to proselytize? To confess Christ? But instead, he's gone from a private brushing off to a general public denial, and now we're told to cursing and swearing. Then he started to curse and swear, I do not know this man you are talking about. Famous Shakespeare line, doth protest too much. What a complete turnaround. From an angrily refusing that he would ever desert, much less deny Christ. Now he's fuming and swearing at the very notion that he has anything to do with him. I think maybe the worst part is not simply claiming not to know Jesus, but denying his nature by calling him simply this man. Some commentators describe this passage as the contrast between two rocks. Christ, our spiritual rock, solid foundation for the church, standing firm under the questioning of the high priest, and Peter, the rock, crumbling under the pressure. Immediately a rooster crowed a second time and Peter remembered 
that Jesus had spoken the word to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me. You see, the message of the Gospels is to confess Christ and deny yourself. And Peter does the opposite. He denies Christ to preserve himself. And at the same time that Christ is confessing himself to preserve us. So if to confess Christ means denying yourself, then logically, when we deny Christ, we are confessing something else. For Peter, it was himself, his own preservation. But what are we saying? What do we confess when we deny Christ? We may not ever be put in the position to actually have to utter words of denial what do our actions say every day? What do we confess? What are we saying is more important when we deny Christ's sovereignty in our homes or our jobs or our relationships? Do we deny Christ's first place in our schedules, our priorities, our pursuits? I don't know how sharp these words sound to you today, But as I prepared this sermon, they cut me deeply, over and over, like the crow, like the crow of the rooster. Too often I am Simon, with spirit willing but flesh weak. Just like it says in Isaiah 53, we all went astray like sheep. And we've all turned our own way. And the Lord punished him, not us, the ones who went astray, but him, Christ, for the iniquity of us all. So what do you do when you're faced with your failings? Mark tells us Peter broke down and wept. Which of us wouldn't? He broke down and wept. Peter, the rock, is broken And in Luke's gospel, we're told that that moment, at that moment, Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter. I can't imagine. At that moment. And yet I think that maybe it was that moment when Christ looked at him that Peter finally understood who Christ was. That was the moment that Simon Peter became Peter, the Peter who Christ had named. See, I think Peter made a decision that moment. I think at his lowest point, disabused of all the notions of pride and grandeur and self-deceit, he finally understood, and he wept in agony over his sin, and his frailty, and maybe, I like to imagine maybe, just maybe with the pieces coming together, he wept an understanding of what Jesus Messiah actually meant. In that moment, in the wreckage of his world and his heart and his soul, the seed that Christ had planted and nurtured and watered through discipleship started to grow. 
Because even though Peter's story in the book of Mark ends here, we know that Christ isn't done with Peter. As one commentator put it, Judas's betrayal was terminal, Peter's was temporary. So how did he make it back from the lowest of lows? And I might argue that he didn't. He left that man behind and was a new person moving forward. See, the book of John gives us this beautiful symmetry to Peter's story. After Christ's death, Peter and some of the apostles returned to what Peter did best, fish. And Christ appears on the shore and he calls out, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically he's like, hey, you got any fish? And they're like, no. And he's like, try the other side. And they do, and they pull up fish. And just like the first time he called Peter in Luke's gospel, they catch all these fish, and the disciples recognize Christ in that moment. And Peter, same old impulsive Peter, grabs his stuff and leaps off the boat to go meet him. What a conversation that must have been. We only get the last part of it. As the others come to shore, and Christ asks Peter three times, do you love me? Just as Peter denied him three times, he now proclaims him three times. I sometimes wonder how fortunate Peter is that the answer to his question chapters earlier, how many times must you forgive somebody, that there is no limit, or else how would we ever be forgiven? And Christ gives him a most interesting command. He says, since you love me, feed my sheep. After all, what is the greatest commandment but to love the Lord your God with all your soul, heart, and soul, and mind? Jesus is telling me, if you love me, do for others, not yourself. I think it's important to note that Peter through the work of the Spirit, maybe did temper himself a bit, maybe was a little bit less hot-headed, certainly was still impulsive, but I don't think Peter's zeal and passion were the problem. In the same way, there's nothing wrong with being an introvert. There's nothing wrong with being thoughtful. There's nothing wrong with being passionate. There's nothing wrong with being pensive. But it's the focus and the application of those characteristics. Peter of the Gospels was the king of I statements. And when we look in Acts, he's preaching boldly and performing miracles, not filled with pride, but with the Spirit. Acts 3, after preaching boldly at Pentecost, Peter and John are heading to the temple, and there's a man lame man begging and they heal him in Jesus name and the other people crowd around and Peter gives this sermon and I want you to consider these words and who is saying them when Peter saw this he said to them fellow Israelites why does this surprise you why do you stare at us as if by our power or godliness we made this man walk the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus you handed him over to be killed you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that he be 
that a murderer be released. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses to this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him. Moving down to verse 19, he says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that the time of refreshing may come. Peter could have been preaching to himself a few days ago. And in fact, I think sometimes our strongest witness is how Christ has worked through our life. How painful it must have been for Peter to recognize in others the sins and the struggles that he had had. But consider his last words, not the Messiah, he says, he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you. Not the Messiah you've appointed for yourself, but appointed for you. Not the Savior you might want, but the one you need. We were made in his image. Are you still trying to make him fit yours? Do we seek today warmth in the company of the world? and react incredulously when people challenge our faith? Or do we follow at a safe distance, hoping for the the comfort and presence of fellowship without radical obedience? Maybe we're more enamored with the tools of this world to solve problems, violence, rage, dissension, our own politics, rather than the Spirit of Christ. Yes, Unbending and unbroken, there is no compromise. Firm, but full of compassion and love and understanding. Are we praying diligently to avoid temptation, to support our brothers and sisters in Christ through their trials? Or if Christ returned today, would he find you sleeping? Do you know better than him? Picking and choosing which commandments to follow? the checklist, just how many times do I need to forgive someone? Or maybe the harshest question, would anyone even recognize you across the fire to ask you if you were a follower? Our time with Peter here will end in chapter 4 of Acts when Peter filled with the Spirit along with John, are dragged to face the high priest. I often wonder if he went by the same courtyard. Or if he saw some of the same faces, the same servants and people that were there on that night. But what Peter couldn't do then, he can do now. He proclaims Christ and filled with the Spirit. That night, the servant girl looked across the fire and asked Peter whether he was a follower And this time we're told that the Sanhedrin saw the courage of Peter and John, realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They didn't have to ask. It was obvious. So today I want you to ask the question, who is Christ to you? Who are you 
Are you Simon being called to follow Christ? Simon Peter, headstrong, full of knowledge, but with little real estate in your heart because of the big I planted there? Or are you Peter, filled and relying on the Spirit? Or are you still relying on your own understanding? Paul talks about Christ as the cornerstone that was rejected. And this is a lesson that Peter learned the hard way. He was still centering the foundation on himself. But it cracked. He had to learn, not I, but Christ. So have you looked at Jesus as he's looking at you? He looks at us not with condemnation, but compassion. But are you still trying to bluster your way through life? To have the answers and check the boxes and perform your role, be on mission to the best of your abilities so you can earn your place in glory? Or are you ready to deny yourself and pick up your cross and say, not I, but Christ? Christ.